This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. We're going to jump right into here because it changes subjects after the previous discourses between Jesus and his disciples. So let's begin in verse one. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias, which is also Elijah, Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Lord, it is good for us to be here. This is that part that we've joked about quite often. This is Peter's classic foot and mouth disease kicking in. He says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save only Jesus. Now let's stop right there. This was a a lengthy reading and there's not much particular teaching involved in this, but this is an event that needs to be covered. This is what is referred to classically is referred to as the transfiguration. And it was because of this event that the mountain upon which they all went has been called Mount Transfiguration ever since. This was like It was like a preview. It was like a show of certain things to come. It was a vision even because when Jesus told them after they came down from the mountain in verse nine, he says, Jesus charged them saying, tell the vision to no man until the son of man be risen again from the dead. So the event that happened here was, well, you might look at it or read it and think, well, what what in the world did I just read? I mean, we were just talking in the previous chapter about about Jesus being revealed as the son of God and then Jesus jacking Peter up because Peter was starting to get proud and he said, get behind me, Satan, and all of that. And then the call for us to die to ourselves, beginning in verse 24 of the previous chapter, where he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then now we're coming to this where there's visions and and Jesus is shining like the sun. What's this all about? Well, and we we don't have other verses, corroborating verses prepared to tie into this. But elsewhere in Scripture, we read prophecies concerning this very thing and what it foretells. It says he was transfigured. Let's go back to verse two. So they're in this mountain, this high mountain apart. Okay, this set apart from uh, the rest of the people, from, uh, set apart from any particular city or town or village. And it says, he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. Now let's just meditate on that for a moment. What must that have looked like? This was Jesus 
being, we're in Matthew chapter 17. This was Jesus being completely transformed right before their eyes, glorified before he was to be glorified. Because he, remember, he had not died. He was, still, he was still very much in his natural body. He hadn't died yet for our sins. He had not yet descended into hell. He had not yet risen again from the grave. And he had not yet returned to the Father. This was like a preview of what he was going to look like and not him only, okay? Not him only. Remember this. And it's important to remember and it's easy to forget. Remember this, that much of what Jesus has received from the Father, we also receive being co-heirs with Christ. Are we not co-heirs with Christ? And if you're wondering at all about what we're going to look like in the kingdom, go back and read this chapter again, these first few chapters, these, these first few chapters or verses in this chapter again, and you get a good picture of it shining like the sun with his raiment as white as the light. And then in verse 3, Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. All right, now this is something that needs to be talked about too. I'm certain because there are fault finders that have talked about this. Um, one might be tempted to ask, how on earth would they have known that this was Moses and Elijah? There weren't any photographs of Moses around or of Elijah around. There weren't even any oil paintings of Moses that were lying around in ancient Israel or in uh, uh, of Elijah lying around for them to compare their likeness to. Well, that's an easy enough, it's an understandable objection to make or question to raise, but it's an easy enough objection to answer. We're talking about a miracle happening here anyway. The same God that was revealing this to these select few disciples, he didn't say that he had all of his disciples even that were with him. He only names three. He taketh Peter James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. Well, he had like 12 close disciples, didn't he? 12 that were in his inner circle, but only three of them are mentioned as being with Jesus at this point. So there were several that were not there, were not there at all. And so would have had to rely on, excuse me, would rely on either James or John or Peter or Jesus's own account in order to record this later on. And so there they were, they're on this mountain, they're apart. Jesus is transformed in front of them. And then two persons appear from out of nowhere who have been dead for a thousand or more years. Moses was at the very beginning of the law and was now with them. And as for Elijah, well, he had been taken up in a fiery chariot. And so now here they were revealed to them. Well, the same God that was revealing this to the disciples is the same God that could have blessed them very easily with the word of knowledge and placed upon, just as he revealed to Simon in the previous chapter that this was Jesus, the Christ, so he could have revealed to every one of them and evidently did reveal to every one of them that were present on this mountain that this was in fact Moses and that this was Elijah. God is a God of knowledge and he has all knowledge. And he can share that knowledge with a person in an instant. He can touch their mind. He can bless their understanding. He does it here all the time, doesn't he? Hasn't the, have, have you not ever perceived the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart 
in the midst of either a message that was being preached either by myself, Reverend DeRyder, or a visiting minister that has come through or has spoken to your heart or spoken to your mind by the Spirit of God during a teaching or, or however it is. God is in the business of revealing not obscuring, not like that credit card company that's going to try to give you the runaround and ping pong you back and forth and tell you that they're going to call you back and customer service never does and then you've got an unresolved problem forever. That's not the business that God is in. God is in the business of opening our eyes, of enlightening our understanding. That's why we've begun uh, to, a large, or to a large extent, that's the reason why we've begun that parallel study on the subject of wisdom. We were almost in Proverbs chapter 2 tonight, but been telling people Matthew 17, so we kind of want to stick to our guns on that. But God's in the business of revealing himself to us. He's in the business of enlightening our understanding and helping us to understand. He's not all about obscuring and concealing and confusing. And if you've ever come to this church and walked out after the service was over with or after the Bible study was over with, did you ever walk out of here confused? If you did, come talk to me. But I would vouch to say that most of the time when you've left this building, and when I say most, I would say like 99% of the time, you walked out of here with a greater understanding about something concerning God and the Word of God than when you came in. That's not a boast because it's got very little to do with us. It has everything to do with God. It has everything to do with the nature of God as being a revealer and a guide and a light. Everything about him is described in the word, especially in the New Testament, describes him as being a light. And light guides and light reveals. So let's move on. Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. Then answered Peter and said unto them, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And we already read through this. So let's build three tabernacles. Let's build a tabernacle uh, for you and for Moses and Elias. And you almost can't help but you almost can't help but getting the impression that Peter was Peter was on the suck up train a little bit because he had just gotten blasted in the previous chapter. If you remember that, you we remember that from last week's study. How he, he presumed he had gotten so uh, full of his own self-importance that he had presumed to rebuke Jesus concerning something that Jesus had revealed to them was going to have to happen to himself. And so Peter rebukes him. Jesus then rebukes Peter. And for good reason. And so now they're on this mountain and Peter's trying to make good and get back on Jesus's good side again. That's a natural reaction when somebody plows up your field or reproves you for something. You know, one is the reaction to get proud, angry and offended and stomp away and leave the whole thing behind, which is the worst possible decision that anyone can possibly make in the face of a correction. And that actually ties in. That ties into our parallel teaching that we're doing right now on the subject of wisdom. You know what? If you will suffer me for a moment to do this, okay? Let's turn over to Proverbs for a moment. Remember from our first teaching on the subject where he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's Proverbs 1, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and destruction. Instruction, excuse me. And he goes on to say, Hear the instruction of thy father. This is in the following verse. Hear the instruction of thy father and forsake the law, forsake not the law of thy mother. 
And he goes on and he, he talks about wisdom and how wisdom was personified. And then over in chapter two, and this was the very beginning, this was the springboard that we that we started out with in that study was in chapter two, verse 10. When wisdom enters into your heart and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. And he goes on in many other parts to talk about how it is the fool that resents correction. It is the fool that resents instruction. It is the fool that that resists being reproved or rebuked. I believe he says elsewhere in chapter one uh, to his son, he says, despise not the chastening of the Lord. So what's chastening? Well, to be chastened is to be chastised, is to be corrected on something, whether it's from a parent or from an elder or from a family member or from uh, from a, a supervisor on a job or something like that is to be, or from the legal system for that matter. That happens a lot as well. There are plenty of judges that have no problems doing that from the bench, and rightly so. He says that it's fools that despise that and that we should never do that. It's the worst way that we can react to a correction is to get proud and to get angry and to get offended because someone had the audacity to tell you something that you were doing was wrong. And well, there's, you know, Sure, there's harsh ways to share correction and then there's easier ways to share correction and so, and sometimes either way is appropriate depending on, on the situation that's at hand. And there's lots of different potential situations where that's concerned. But that had happened to Peter. But Peter did not let himself get mad or angry or proud. And I know that we're jumping back into the previous study with this, but it ties into our current study with what was going on in chapter 17 on the mountain. Peter apparently took it to heart. He apparently took the correction to heart. It was probably even, I would like to think that he was even horrified to discover that that pride had in fact blossomed in his own heart. It's a big problem. And as we shared last week, there isn't a human being on earth that does not face that battle. Because it's, let's just call it a feature of the flesh. It doesn't like being corrected. And so the flesh's natural reaction is to resent it often bitterly and then to resist it. That's pride. So you hear something from the pulpit, whether it's in a teaching or a preaching, and whoever it is that's preaching or teaching, when you hear something from the pulpit that smacks you between your eyes and plows your field as the, exp as the expression goes, However you react, whether it's with alarm, whether it's with grief, whether it's with even with tears, don't react with pride. Don't let yourself step into that trap. You have to remember that pride was the first sin and it destroyed Lucifer. Lucifer was what the anointed, the covering angel, the covering cherub, God's most beautiful, had authority on the earth. This was before the creation of man. And then he got proud. And if you, and not to turn this into a study on the origin of the devil and where he comes from, but it is, it is recorded in scripture in many allusions and double references that are, that are, that are buried there, but are revealed unto us. You know, he got proud and he got this attitude of, I will ascend. And he even said this, I will ascend. My, I will ascend above the Most High. He had a notion to kick God off the throne and rule the whole shooting match. 
And well, then we read elsewhere in Scripture how, the, how well that worked for him. He was cast out from heaven as a bolt of lightning. It wasn't even a graceful fall. It was, it was an ejection so forceful and so powerful that it, it was absolutely final. And so why? Well, all because of pride. And so we can be tempted to that same sin, but you have to resist it. You can't ever let that get a root in your heart because once that gets its root inside of you, then it begins to grow and then it takes your ego and it blows it up to monstrous proportions and then you become unteachable. And when you become unteachable, then you become, as we discussed in our teaching on wisdom, then you become the fool because the fool is unteachable because the fool never learns. That's why he's a fool. And so we should covet wisdom. All right, let's get back to verse or to chapter 17 here. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here and so on. And then in verse five, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son. Well, who was it speaking? What's well, evident who was speaking? It was God, the father speaking out of heaven concerning God, the son who was there on the earth. So further scriptural support for the Trinity of our Lord, for the Trinity of God. A cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. This is further revelation, backing up the revelation by the Spirit of God to Simon Peter uh, back in chapter 16 concerning who Jesus really was. And verse 6, he says, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. That's what a vision, that's what a, a divine visitation will do. It will terrify. That's what it does. When God actually manifests himself on a scene, even partially, it is alarming. It is always alarming. Angelic visitations were the same ways. When, a, when an angel would show up on the scene, it always frightened and alarmed and terrified people. And they often fell off, they often fell down out of fear. And in verse 8, when they lift, or excuse me, verse 7, when Jesus came, and Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. It takes, it takes a touch from the Lord to take the fear away from many situations in life. Arise and be not afraid. In verse 8, And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And so reading this, you kind of get the impression that, that Peter kind of spoiled it with his ill-timed, with his ill-timed, uh, hey, it's great for us to be here. Let's build a bunch of tabernacles and completely missing the point. And there's a lesson, there's a very practical lesson that is in that. So this isn't just shared for the sake of telling us a story. It's shared for us to glean the practical lessons out of it. And that is when God's doing something, don't mess it up. When God is doing something miraculous in your life, when God is doing something miraculous in the house of God, which he, he does sometimes, perhaps not on par with this as far as, uh, as far as the manifestation of it, much of it is invisible. Much of it is invisible and much of it, much of the, much of his work occurs in the depths of the heart, okay, which, which cannot be seen except how it manifests in the person's life. The changes that God works in you, in us, in people that allow him to work those changes there. But when God is doing something, don't mess it up with, let's say, the mundane, the earthly, the worldly, the natural. 
And one of the first examples that comes to mind is, you know, the laundry's important, right? You gotta wash clothes or you don't have clothes to wash. But sometimes the laundry can wait, can't it? You know, and cleaning house is important and running errands can be important sometimes and just the business of life. I understand it's important and it's got to get done, especially if you if you got a family and you have kids running around and because, you know, that's its own that's its own special kind of busy right now. But sometimes that stuff can wait. Sometimes so, well, I got to eat sometime. Dinner's important. Yeah, you know what? You're right. But sometimes dinner can wait. Because God wants to do something in your life. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever felt? I want to ask that question. You don't have to answer it out loud. In fact, I'd rather we didn't, but just answer it in your heart. Have you ever felt that in your life? The pull of God on your heart. You may not have even recognized that it was God at that time. It may have simply been an undefined sense of urgency that would not let up, that was nagging at your mind or nagging at your heart. You should really be in the house of God. You should really be in the house of God. And it's just there. It's sitting. It's sitting on your conscience and it's sitting on your heart. And, and, and the longer that it goes unanswered and you try to brush it off and you try to blow it off, the heavier that it gets. And it just won't let up. And then some people, they react differently to that. Some will heed it and go and some will run from it and then try to get super busy and involved in something to shut that voice up. That's the Holy Ghost trying to draw you closer to God. So I'm going to tell you a little story about that. And it's, it's not super exciting, but it was very real and it happened. And I'm not saying that it was anything on, on, on par with chapter 17 and this event on Mount Transfiguration here. It was in the Air Force, so it was an awfully long time ago. We're talking 25 years or more. And it was some, it was a random night of the week. I was going to church. I had a church that I was attending and it was some random night of the week where there was uh, typically nothing going on. There was not a major event. There was not a, a church service that was scheduled. There wasn't a Bible study or anything like that. It was, uh, it was, I think there was outreach, but I wasn't involved in the outreach program at that time. So I was pretty new and, and, and it just, it, came upon me as though from nowhere. I'm not saying that I was, you know, that God spoke from out of heaven and the clouds parted and the lights shone and then, and then, and then my garment shone like the light. No, and then none of that happened. It wasn't anything like that. But it came on, it came over my heart. It came over my mind. You ought to drive out to the church. 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 You know, it just, it just sat there and it wouldn't leave me alone. And I was, it was after work. I'd already clocked out for the day, so to speak. I was back home at the home. I was back at the barracks where I was living and puttering around my room as I was wont to do uh, oftentimes. And, and it just sat there on my mind and on my heart and on my conscience. You ought to head out to the church and see what's going on. You ought to just head out there. And so, all right, Okay. So I hopped in my car. It was an old 84 Honda Accord. And I drove. And it wasn't a short drive. It's not like here. It's not like here. We're 10 minutes in here now. It was, it was at least 15, 20 minutes. It was 15, 20 minute trip down the interstate to another town. That's where my church was. And, but I drove out there. And it was at night. And it was dark. And, 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 I, and I got there. And I pulled up. 
And I saw a bunch of cars in the parking lot, but all the lights were out inside. Now, let me tell you something. You pull up to a church like that and you're not, you don't know what that means. It kind of creeps you out. You're like, what's going on at my church? What's this all about? And so I parked and I got out and I, uh, I walked up to the front doors. The front doors were a couple of double doors. You know, the, the door light was on. The porch light was on over the doors. And, and I, uh, I opened the door real slow because it was dark in there. But the door was unlocked and I opened it up real slow. And well, it was dark so I couldn't see anything. And I was trying to, what can I see? You know, what's going on in there? And then, boom, this brother's face was like right there out of nowhere. And he was looking down and he pulled the door shut. What just happened? You know, did I interrupt some super sacred secret thing? What was this? So I went around to the back door because there was a back door. And then I went in the back door and I, and I walked in through the back into the chapel. And there was a bunch of people in the church. Some of them were walking around. Some of them were uh, kneeling and praying. All the lights were out. Well, what were they doing? It was a prayer meeting. That's all it was. It wasn't something creepy and weird. Nobody was sacrificing chickens on the prayer altars or anything like that. There, were, there was nothing weird going on at all. It was just, that was a night that they were having a prayer meeting. I knew nothing about it. But the Spirit of God had drawn me to the house of God. And I didn't blow it off. And so what happened? Well, I prayed right along with them. And it was a great blessing. And then after a little while, they, they turned the lights on. And they all sat down. And the pastor you know, got up behind the pulpit and talked to everybody for a while. And, and it turned out that it was an outreach meeting. But there was a prayer meeting that they had first. And it was a real blessing and it was a good thing. And had I not listened to the voice of God, I would have missed out on something. When God's doing something in your life, don't goof it up with something that can wait a couple hours or something that can even wait another day. It's like, you know what? You're already late. Let's say it's April. You know, you're already late filing your taxes anyway. Why skip church on a Thursday night to concentrate on your taxes? It's a very popular trick of the devil to bring up something that you didn't care about the night before anyway when, when sitting down and watching something like The Simpsons was more important. You know, so he, the devil brings it up to you the next night when there's church or a Bible study going on. And then you're like, oh, suddenly I'm super dedicated to getting this task done. It's like, well, why couldn't The Simpsons suffer the loss? You know, or whatever it was that you were doing, sitting around uh, whittling firewood. No, you don't whittle firewood, you know, whittling something out of wood. You know, why not set that aside to focus on what's more important rather than setting God aside? See, well, I think that's a bit of a stretch deriving that lesson from this. Not really. Not really. Because something miraculous was happening in front of the disciples here in chapter 17. And Peter kind of goofed it up, didn't he? Talking about building tabernacles and all of that. There's a time to be zealous. There's also a time to just be still and know that God is God. There's a time to just be quiet before the Lord and be still before the Lord and let the Spirit of God show you something or do something in you and do something in your life. So the takeaway there, the lesson from this, verses 1 through 8. 
When God's moving in your life, don't goof it up. Just let him have his way. And he'll show you something, again, perhaps not so dramatic as this, but he'll show you something. He'll show you something about yourself or about a situation. He'll show you something that you would have otherwise missed. Let's move on. We're almost done, but let's go ahead and move on. Verse 9, And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell no man the vision until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes? Now, they weren't challenging him, but they were asking him a question. Remember, there's a difference in spirit between those two things. Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall, come, shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed or wanted. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. And so their question, and this is almost a self-teaching passage right here, verses, uh, verses 10 through 13, which brings us to the end of that paragraph. Verse 14 begins a new paragraph. It's almost a self-teaching passage. But they asked him a legitimate question. They said, why then say the scribes that Elias or Elijah must first come? Well, you've got to remember who Elijah was, okay? Elijah was a prophet of the Old Testament. He was a remarkable prophet in the Old Testament. And God wrought uh, quite a few miracles by Elijah's hand. But what sets Elijah apart from any of the other prophets of the Old Testament, or, or even of the New, if you count John the Baptist as a prophet, what sets Elijah apart is that Elijah did not die. And you have to go back into the Old Testament to read the account for this, and it's all recorded there, so it's not something that's made up or presupposed or anything like that. Elijah did not die. He was one of only two men uh, in the history of the human race that were taken bodily up from the earth into heaven. Now, the first one was a man named Enoch, and you read about him back in the book of Genesis. Enoch was a man that walked with God and that he pleased God. And then one day, God just simply took him away. And he, had, he did not die. He simply went with God, and that was the end of that. And then Elijah was another. If you, as you go back in the Old Testament and read the account of Elijah, you read that there was a chariot that came and that took him up from the earth. It was described as a fiery chariot and that took him up from the earth. And as he fell, he cast down his mantle uh, on him. Uh, Elisha was uh, a, a, a prophet. You could almost describe him as a prophet in training. It was kind of a, an apprentice, so to speak. And so he and he had asked Elijah. You know, Elijah had said, "Ask of me what you will, because I'm going to be taken away from you this day." And so Elijah, Elisha asked Elijah, "I want a double portion of the spirit of God that you have. I want a double portion of the spirit that you have." And Elijah said, well, you ask a hard thing and how, and how that all played out. But as Elijah was being taken up from the earth, he cast his mantle down. Elisha took it up and then Elisha's life was changed because that wish, that desire that Elisha have, had was then granted to him. Well, so what happened to Elijah? Elijah went to heaven without dying, just like Enoch did. Sorry, well, this is starting to sound like a fairy tale, Pastor Snyder. Well, it might sound like one, but it's not. It's not. It's a historical record, but don't worry, because both of those guys, and we're going to stray just a little bit right before we end, we're going to stray a little bit into uh, some of the things that he talks about over in the Revelation. Both Elijah and Enoch have their day coming. They don't get to escape the taste of death. Okay, They were not raptured. They were taken up in body. 
but they still have to die and they still have a future role that is plotted out and that's all recorded in prophecy it's all here in the word of God and one of the things that had to happen was that Elijah needed to come again and this was almost like it's not quite the same as he will actually come over in the book of the Revelation. That occurs at a future time over in Israel when God is dealing with Israel again to turn their hearts back to God and then reveal Jesus unto them in a miraculous way. But what Jesus said, well, what his disciples were asking is, why then say the scribes that Elias must come? Because they just saw him, Elijah. They just saw him in this miraculous vision on Mount Transfiguration. And Jesus answered and said, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already and that they knew him not. So this was 2,000 years ago. It was John the Baptist that came in the spirit of Elijah. And well, how do you know that? Because Jesus says it right here in verse 13. Or excuse me, the, the word says it here in verse 13. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. It was John the Baptist that came first to prepare the hearts of Israel for the coming of Messiah. And then over in the book of the Revelation, he's going to come again, but he's going to come again as himself, as Elijah, for the same reason, in part to prepare the hearts of the children of Israel for the coming of Jesus the Messiah. Because this here in the scriptures, in the gospels, this was Jesus's first advent. This was him coming to the earth, born of a virgin for one reason, to die for the sins of mankind and reconcile those who believe upon him, reconcile them to God. That's us. To die for the sins of the whole human race and then reconcile we who have accepted that, reconcile us to God. That's why Jesus came. Not to establish the kingdom. Not to restore the kingdom of Israel. Not to do any of the things that a lot of them thought that He was going to do, but which He is in fact going to do when He comes again. Because when He comes again, it's not going to be the same way. Okay, So you can take all those quaint suppositions and songs that people have sung over the years about. Oh, there's an old Statler Brothers gospel song that was all about how Jesus could be riding in a 49 Ford. Uh, I don't know if anybody here has ever heard of that, but when you grow up with a family like mine, then you hear that sort of thing. It's like, well, no, Jesus isn't riding in a 49 Ford. When he comes back again, when he comes back again, there'll be no doubt who he is. Because he's coming back in power and in glory. He's going to split the eastern sky, just like that song that we used to sing for years in our churches uh, and sometimes still do. You know, he's going to come from the east and they will see him, speaking of the Jews in Jerusalem and Israel at that time, they will see him, the Bible says that they will look on him whom they pierced, and they will mourn, they will weep, because then they will understand. That guy, Yeshua, that was the Messiah all the time. And we've spent the last 2,000 or more, however more years of, you know, will pass by the time that actually comes to pass. And we've spent all these thousands of years denying it. But then, you know, there'll be joy because there'll be redemption and, and, and all of the things that were broken and crooked in those days will begin to be made straight. And so there's a final teaching tonight and I just want to kind of, I want to end it with this, okay? 
You discouraged because the world is pretty jacked up right now? I understand. Are you grieved at the state of our country and at the, the way that things have been going for the last quite a few years? And trust me, it goes even deeper than the stuff that you're seeing in the news now, okay? The seeds were sown a long, long, long time ago. Does it grieve you? Does it worry you? Are you afraid even at times because you don't know what's going to happen? Take heart. There's a day coming when every crooked thing is going to be made straight and every corrupt thing is going to be, let's say, purged or made right. There's coming a day there's coming a day when death itself is going to be nothing but an unhappy memory. Do you remember being so young that the concept of death was completely alien to you? Or have we all grown too old to f and, and have forgotten what that was like? Do you remember the first time someone tried to explain to you what death even was and you were mystified? It didn't add up. It didn't equate. It didn't compute. It didn't make sense. Maybe it was a family member that had died. Maybe you were five. Maybe you were six years old and a family member had passed away, a beloved grandfather, or perhaps even a mother or father or, or, or a sibling or something like that, and you didn't understand you saw them, they were still there. And you're like, what's wrong with them? Why can't they get up? You know? And, and so they, your family tried then explaining it to you. Well, well it, it's like being asleep. And you're like, okay, well, so when are they going to wake up? You know, you didn't get it. Well, there's a reason why you didn't get it. Because it was never part of the original equation. It was never part of the original design. When God made us, when God made the earth and everything that's in it, when He made the universe and everything that was in it, He made things to live forever. And so if the notion has ever crossed your mind that there's something not right about death, well, there's a good reason why you think that there's something not quite right about death. It was never supposed to happen, that's why. And there's coming a day when it isn't going to happen to people ever again. Even death's going to die one day. And then that's going to be the end of it. There are things coming. Take heart. Remember, God's in control. And by the time this whole thing is over with, ye who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are His true disciples, you who love the Lord and you love the idea of His coming, you're going to live forever. You might die first, but you'll be raised again, and then you'll never taste of death again, ever. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.
www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.